Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Now, Uncommon Sense with Leland Conway on 630KHOW, Denver's talk station. All right, 630K, How Denver's talk station. I am Leland Conway. Uh, getting word that uh, Jefferson County Public Health Director Dawn Comstock has offered her resignation, according to the Denver Post, uh, effective immediately following a lengthy meeting with the county's health board that was closed to the public. Apparently, the Jefferson County Health Board voted unanimously to accept Comstock's resignation after about a year on the job. Of course, I believe she was one of the many diplomat or diplomats, one of the many bureaucrats over the last year who have completely locked people down and uh, you know been in, made made decisions that flew in the face of science when it came to lockdowns, restrictions, et cetera, regarding COVID. So, I think what's happening is there's like a massive awakening across the country and around the world with Sweden lifting restrictions, England lifting restrictions, all of the hypocritical leaders who get caught taking pictures with no masks. The the uh, the picture of Stacey Abrams, uh, the, the the right in the middle of a classroom. She's sitting on the floor with a bunch of students, young students. She has no mask on, and all of the kids are forced to wear masks. People are sick of that. They're just sick of it. And so for every bureaucrat that loses their job for having uh, effectively locked people down for so long, good riddance. Go bother somebody else. Um, okay, and then there's this story that this blows my mind that uh, Johns Hopkins came out with, this study, that essentially the lockdowns only reduced COVID-19 mortality by 0.2% in the U.S. and Europe, so like less than half a percent. But what's more interesting than that is that what the study found, because they examined a bunch of different studies of a bunch of different sort of lockdown policies. And what they found was shelter-in-place orders finding that they had reduced COVID mortality by 2.9%. Studies that looked at only shelter-in-place orders found that they reduced COVID mortality by 5.1%. But studies that looked at shelter-in-place orders along with other lockdown measures found that the shelter-in-place orders actually increased mortality by 2.8%. So the lockdowns not only work, they increase mortality in some cases. Uh, not only didn't work, but they increased mortality in some cases. So that's this is what we've endured for the last two years from bureaucrats who claim to be following the science when, in fact, they were following a narrative. All right. Joining me now, we have a race for Senate. Uh, Michael Bennett's seat will be up for grabs. And uh, we've been trying to talk to all of the Republican candidates who are vying for that position. We actually have an open invitation where if Senator Bennett wants to get up out of his easy chair and come talk to us, we'll be happy to give him a voice on the airwaves here on KHOW. But today, we're talking to Gino Campana. Uh, he is running for that position as well. Sir, how are you? Welcome to the program. Hey, thanks for having me, Leland. You too. Um, let, let's just dive into some of the big issues of the day. Um, 
that that study from the lockdowns you know you have worked in the hospitality industry um I think at one point, wasn't it like 40% of small businesses in the state of Colorado had ended up shut down because of lockdown policies? Um, we're clearly now seeing that that was not the science. We've never in any pandemic in history have we ever quarantined the healthy, and yet we did it this time for some strange reason. I think it was to invoke panic amongst society in order to achieve a particular goal, but what's your take on all of that? Well, you know, in the very beginning, we didn't know what we were dealing with, um, and the virus, we couldn't test for it. We didn't know what the impacts of it were going to be. You could justify it a little bit on the shutdowns, but then uh, it turned into an excuse for the liberals to control our lives. And, you know, we've been pushing back on it for, for a long, long time. I mean, the, the notion that you walk into a restaurant, and as you're walking in the restaurant, you're contagious – but as soon as you sit down, you're no longer <laughs> I mean, right. it's, it's craziness, right? I mean, how do we allow this to happen? You, you don't understand, Gino. The attack of COVID only happens above four feet in height. So when you're standing <laughs> up, clearly it will attack you. But when you're sitting down, it knows to pass on over. Or you've got the sign, I mean, the mask requirements. And I always call them the semi-compliant that have the mask on, but it's below their nose. You're like, you do realize that's doing right. absolutely nothing, right? <laughs> right, and, right. You know, three years ago, you see somebody in a mask and you'd go, that's kind of bizarre. What's that all about? And right. today, you've got people that judge you based on wearing a mask. Yeah. You know, if I walk yeah. into, into a facility, we walked through a hotel on uh, Sunday. We were walking through a hotel. I didn't put a mask on. Nobody was around me. Right? The hotel was empty. I didn't have one on, and I had somebody working there just stare at me like, how dare you? You do realize you're supposed to have on a mask. I'm like, no one is around me. And and not right. to mention, um, the county has is removing the ma- mask mandate, but not until the 12th. Until right. the 12th, you're still contagious, and you got to have a mask. But not until the 12th. No, no. Look, if it's a bad idea, remove it now. They they negotiated a treaty with COVID. The, the COVID's going to keep attacking until yeah. the 12th or the 18th, and then it'll stop. It's look. Th- this is all above our heads, Gino. This is these are very powerful people that have very powerful connections with the virus, and they know what to talk how to talk to it. So that's why we have to obey everything that they say. It makes sense. Um, well, so and, why are you running? And, Go ahead. I'm sorry. I don't want to belittle it. By the way, but I don't want to belittle it. Okay. No. I mean, it was. It's a horrible virus. As, yep. as the next U.S. senator, I'm going to find some accountability. I'm going to keep probing and asking those questions because these guys, however this entered our, our world, which if you follow the crumbs, it appears to be coming from Wuhan, um, they disrupted our entire world. And somebody yes. needs to be held accountable for this. And so we, we, we need to have a U.S. senator that will do that. And I will. Bennett's never going to do it. You know, I'm glad you said that um, for a couple of reasons. I was actually going to bring this up. But first of all, um, the fact that this has disrupted our lives for two years, regardless of how we handled it. And I believe we handled it wrong there, whether we did it this way or we did it a different way, we were still going to lose a lot of really precious grandmas and grandpas. Um, and, and there's no way to, uh, to deny that, that, that pain and suffering that this virus caused. And I'm glad that you pointed out that we have to find out where it came from and why. And, um, so, um, leader McCarthy in the uh, house of representatives, the minority leader, Um, He actually said that if Republicans take the House and there's a chance that you could take the Senate as well, uh, that you guys would take and do hearings and find out what the hell happened with this, how this got started. Um, To me, that sounds like people like Dr. Fauci would be on the hot seat. So you're saying that in the Senate, you absolutely will pursue these things. 
Absolutely. I totally support. I heard his comment on that and uh, I'll commit to that as well. I'll find out what happened there. I'll find out what happened at, at, at Afghanistan as well in this bodged exit. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, well, there's a lot of questions about that. Um, so, and, and do you think based on that, then do you think our current commander in chief is of sound mind? No, no, unfortunately not. And I hate saying that I have the highest respect for the, the office of the presidency, but you know, that two-hour press conference a couple of weeks ago was just brutal, not just for the president, but for all Americans watching it, and frankly, for everyone around the world watching it. I mean, we, we are at a tipping point of stability right now, as you know, with Ukraine and Russia and China and Taiwan and everything else China's trying to do, and Iran acting up again, and North Korea acting up again. The last thing we need is a president that can't uh, read off of a teleprompter without reading the the, the directions on the teleprompter. <laughs> I mean, this is this is not good. Yeah. You know, what, I mean, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what summed it all up for me. When he was on that call and they were talking about, I think uh, Santa Claus coming in or something, and a parent said, "Let's go, Brandon." And then he repeated it. Yeah. yeah. And I thought, and and they and they panned. His wife was in the scene too, and her eyes kind of like, "Oh, did you really do that?" And then at that point, it went from, okay, I'm really angry about this administration and things they're doing, right. to really I'm sad by what he's having to deal with. I mean, it, it's not right. Well, and it, I think what worries me in that is that um, who's running the show? Because it ain't him. And that's pretty scary. I hear that a lot across the state, and they definitely don't want the number two in charge there running it, um, the nation either. I don't know who's running it. Um, I can tell you that you know when our Secretary of Transportation was on maternity leave, um, we had complete chaos going on with our supply chain. You know, Pater- paternity leave, American not maternity you- leave. Just to be clear, it was paternity, paternity leave. Sorry, thank, yeah. you, thank you for yeah. correcting that. Yes, you're right. Um, nothing crushes the American dream more than um, in it, preventing people who invested their lives into their businesses from going to work. Yeah. And this administration across the board has been so disruptive. If it wasn't, you know, the very beginning of shutting off pipelines and, and revoking permits, um, it, it, enabling Russia to continue on with their pipeline, um, cutting off, you know, causing issues with supply chain to the point we are right now. And I mean, it just every corner you turn around, oil and gas industry, I hear that a lot across the state. You yeah. talk about the, the – I was sitting down with the county commissioner from Glenwood Springs, and he told me that the revenues dropped 40% the first year, 40% the second year, and 40% the third year after Polis went into office. Well, we have the same thing going on now with Biden where these, these leases for federal lands are just stacking up on somebody's desk. Right. And you know that's been directed that way. Right. They're directing yeah, somebody not to sign these and release them, and it's hurting us. Yeah. We, we were a net exporter. It's crazy that we let, we allowed that to change with this administration. We're Gina Campani is running for Michael Bennett's Senate seat. Um, let's dive into the supply chain problem just for a little bit. Do you think that there's because part of the problem is yeah, here's what here's what I feel like we have discovered through all of this. And this part of this is the pandemic, and part of it's policy. But at the end of the day, we have too much stuff made in China. I mean, right now people are trying to order a new truck, and you got to wait because there's no chips. Why don't we make those chips here in America? There's so many things we don't make in America. 
and and I'm a free trade guy. I, I I feel like businesses ought to be able to get the cheapest that they can get the to build a quality product and provide it for the lowest price. I understand the consumer based economy that America mostly operates, but we run into situations like this where we only have four meat distributors, right? So we end up with a meat crunch um, because regional meat suppliers can't you know chop up a cow and send it over to the King Supers. We run into situations where we can't get chips because nobody makes chips in America when it comes to car chips and auto chips. We run into a situation where you know you can't get jeans because whatever. Is it, how do you balance that out? How do you balance out freedom for companies, but also encouraging companies to make more stuff here, so we don't depend on foreign countries in times like this? Yeah, well, I'm a free trade guy and a conservative, right? So I'm all about that. And let me tell you how I answer this. And I, I just had this question posed to me this morning. We need to do everything we can to remove the barriers preventing onshore onshoring of our of these manufacturings from coming back right we need to onshore and the reason why they left was because it was more lucrative to make it in another country mm-hmm. when they're when, when we're having regulations that are stacked up oh you know on top of each other if you talk to farmers i talked to a fourth generation farmer he told me he's spending more time dealing with regulations than he's doing farming if you go across the border to mexico you're not having to deal with those regulations right now, some of them are for health and safety re- reasons but I talked to a, an orchard grower, in, uh, a guy who's owned an orchard for several generations in Palisade, uh, Colorado. And he said they, they ha- had him install a fence all the way around his orchard to prevent wild animals from going into the orchard. And if a wild animal goes in there, and you have to document it, send in the paperwork. If it defecates in there, you have to document all that. Oh my God. You know, all food safety type things, right? So, but, you know, as children, that fence didn't, wasn't there. We were fine. I used to go over there and pick those fruit myself. Right. So then he came back and said, so that wasn't good enough. Then they came back and said, what if a wild animal gets locked in that fence? So they came back with a new regulation that every so many hundred feet, you have to put an exit out the fence, out of the fence. So an animal that might have been stuck in the fence can get out of the fence. Now, if you're thinking what I'm thinking, yeah, you have yeah. some of the smartest wild animals in the world, right? Because right, they can right. read an exit only sign. Right. These are the type of ridiculous regulations that are just <laughs> stacked onto, stacked onto, that prevent us from being competitive. And you talked a little bit about the harvesting of, of beef in our country, down to four major harvesting plants. And you're right. If you have to get, a, a, if you have a cow that you have on your little, you know, do-it-yourself farm, and you need to have that harvest, you can't find anyone to do it right now. They've right. all shut down. Right. And and the the ranchers here are asking for one thing, and I think it's pretty simple. It's point of origin for that beef. We yeah. had it for a little bit, then it got removed again. But that would help our ranchers so much. That, and as a consumer, I'd love to know if my beef's coming from, you know, um, Montrose, Colorado, or if it's coming from Brazil. Yeah, I want to know that. I, and, I, and believe so me, if I knew the difference, I'd, I'd pick that Montrose rancher every single time. And I'd pay more money for that, frankly. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean, and I know these guys are trying to be competitive, but it's not right when they're having to compete on beef sales. And not have to do half the things they're having to do in Brazil that they have to do here. These are the these are the regulations that I think the Trump administration was working on and trying to reduce the the red tape and and remove some silly legislation. I think they did a really good job. Of course, this uh, Biden administration has gone back in there and just layered it up again. And, and some of this, I think, is because they're trying to change our behavior. You know, right. I think there's some people that believe if if the price of gasoline is gets to a certain point, you'll ride your bicycle to work. Yeah, Again, no, you're trying to control our lives and change our behavior. Yeah. That's that's not how our country was ever founded. It's not what the American dream is founded on. And as a U.S. senator, I'll go there every day and I'll remind them, and we'll apply that lens and say, 
what are we truly trying to solve here? You know, yeah. what's the problem you're trying to solve? And is that the is that the, the job of the U.S. government to be doing that? We're talking with Gino Campana. I'm about a couple minutes here and, and got to run. But uh, first of all, will you come back on and talk tax policy with me? Because I want to get into that a little bit more in depth. Will you do that? Of course. Of okay. course. You know, I've been in the business of myself for 30 years. So we've but unfortunately, I've had to learn a lot about taxes and run living financial <laughs> statements. So yeah, um, I'm excellent. happy to well, talk about it. And I'll just tell you right now, lower taxes, simpler, simpler tax code is what we need. Yeah, we'll get into that. But before I let you go, what's a hobby that you have that uh, people might be surprised that you have? Well, I said this the other night, but I, I call it, it's kind of therapeutic. But I'm an amateur chef, and I love making artisan breads. I cook anything that's Italian. You know, of course, I'll, I'll I'll get in there and mix it up. I love making, having my whole family over and making a great meal and and enjoying it. And then I'm uh, I love to mountain bike, run, you know, ride my road bike, get out in the outdoors of Colorado. I'm out frequently doing that. So that's kind of what I do to decompress. Yeah, I hear you. Hopefully, you'll get a little bit of time for that as well. Uh, but we'll have you back on. We'll talk about that tax code and dive into that a little bit more. But appreciate your time today. Thank you, Gino Campana, running for U.S. Senate. Thanks so much. Thanks. All right. Uh, all right. When we continue, Krista K for Denver Post columnist is going to join us. We're going to talk about school choice. I am Leland Conway, 630 K How, Denver's talk station. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. All right. 630 K. How Denver's talk station. I am Leland Conway. Cameron Cambier from Centennial Capital Partners on the line with us. Uh, Cameron, I know you want people to take uh, life expectancy into their plans for retirement. I don't know what you're going to say to me, though, because I plan to live forever. I'm just saying. So I don't know how we're going to do this, but we got to figure something out. Yeah, well, you know, I'll tell you what, Leland. You know I'm an optimistic guy most of the time, but I'm not sure if I'm that optimistic. But if you do find that fountain of youth, uh, send me the coordinates. But, no, you're 100 For a couple correct. dollars. No, I think. <laughs> Yeah, hey, that, that's worth it. For, I'm not gonna give it to you for free. I, I'm good. Immunity, a couple bucks. Come on now. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, but you're exactly right, Leon. You know, I do think one of the most important things a person can know when it comes with planning for the future, or at least have an idea about, because obviously this is something none of us can possibly know for sure. But it is how long we expect to live. And over the past century, global life expectancy has roughly doubled to 72 and a half years. In the U.S., in the U.S., excuse me, it rose from 39 years, believe it or not, in 1860 to 53 in 1920 to 78.8 in 2019. And a report done by the World Economic Forum estimates that about half of babies born in the U.S. in 2007 will live to be 104. And, you know, generally when we're running a financial plan with folks, one of the questions we ask is, how good is the longevity in the family? You know, 
know, how long did your grandparents live, your parents, brothers, aunt, uncles, you get the picture. And even though that isn't a guarantee of how long you're going to live, it generally gives us a good baseline to plan off of. You know, for example, let's say your your parents only made it to live in their 70s. Well, it might make some more sense to start taking a look at Social Security earlier rather than later, rather than later to get a higher benefit amount. But for someone whose parents made it into their 90s, probably makes more sense to wait on taking Social Security as long as you can. And without a doubt, the number one thing that worries retirees the most is the fear of outliving their money. So guys, super important, uh, something to think about. Yeah, no doubt. And the idea that, that you need to sit down with somebody now and uh, make those calculations is super important. How do they get a hold of you at Centennial Capital Partners? Certainly, guys. We're at 303-584-1161, or you can go to the website, which is com. That's K-U-R-T-C-A-M-B-I-E-R. We'd love to help. Awesome. And talk to you tomorrow, buddy. Good to talk to you again. Yeah, you too, Leland. Take care, man. All right. Again, Centennial Capital Partners. Well, speaking of preparing for the future, Colorado has a program, uh, these uh, 529 uh, savings programs for college, right? So you could put some money in there, and you could save it for your kid's college Um it's it's really cool because it's tax free. It's like it's like a it's like a four hundred one k, but for college kind of is how I understand it. So if you've got kids that you're planning, a lot of people put the money into those programs and they do it tax free, and then they've got that little nest egg there when their kid chooses a college. Um, but what if what if you could do the same thing tax free and then put that towards say private school education for your child because you want to get your kids out of the screwed up public school system? What if you could do that? I have a feeling politics is going to get away in the way, but I, I, I applaud any idea that puts more choice about your kid's education in your hands and more control over the financing for your kid's education in your hands. So I wanted to bring on Krista Kafer. She, Kafer, she is a columnist for the Denver Post, also a former senior expert with the Heritage Foundation, current policy senior fellow at the Independence Institute. And if you're not following what the Independence Institute is doing, you are missing out because it is a great trove of policy ideas and great discussions. Her work also has appeared on Fox News, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Washington Post, USA Today, Chicago Tribune, Los Angeles Times, San Francisco Chronicle, and all that. Welcome, Krista. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm excellent. I I loved your column because I I have a feeling you and I have a lot in common when it comes to school choice. Yes, I you know I I don't think and and now really is the time. You think about all the stuff that's gone over the last week, right? You got mm-hmm. the the so-called sick out. I'm calling it the ski day over right. in uh, Douglas County, where where teachers just decided they were going to take the day off and kids didn't get an education. And the same union that that pulled that off managed to get the kids to walk out today at one o'clock. You had all kinds of shenanigans going on at the board meeting. Just a lot of drama. And I'm kind of an anti-drama person. I don't know about you. I think kids ought to just get a good education. If it's at a private school, a public school, I don't care where kids go, as long as they're getting a good education. And minimum, or I should say minimal, drama from adults. And so I think now is the time, if there ever was a time, and certainly choices have been expanding for a couple of decades now, in, in most states, not here in Colorado per se, well, I guess charter schools. But I think now is the time to, to, to enable parents to choose among other schools, including private schools. Um, to, your, to your point about drama, I actually like drama, and I always caused it in school, but I caused enough. We didn't need the adults <laughs> actually doing it. Um, but, no, I agree with you, and, and specifically on the Doug Code thing, What's interesting to me, you mentioned 
clearly that was all uh, student organized. Don't you know that, Krista? That was completely the student's oh, yeah. idea. That didn't come from the adults. I don't know what you're talking about there. And that was an, a grassroots teacher walkout, by the way, Krista. So that oh, was yeah. not organized by the, <laughs> the union at all. I don't know where you're getting your facts, but, you know. <laughs> what I was thinking about this, I, I definitely had opinions when I was a kid, right? So in, in, in high school, I was on the speech and debate team. I was also one of the newspaper editors. I couldn't have told you who the superintendent was. It just wasn't on my radar. So right. The fact that any kid can name the superintendent and is all like crazy passionate about his being fired, so they had to do a walkout. They were told to do that. Kids yeah. don't. Kids don't know which bureaucrats are doing what at the uh, at the school board level or at the uh, at the superintendent's office. They just know they can get the you know get to cut class and go have a protest. And who doesn't want to do that? Well, I was going to say, if they do know what's going on, then perhaps their teacher's spending way too much time teaching them about that stuff and not what's actually supposed to be in the classroom. But uh, but your idea about 529s being used for private school uh, tuition, I love this. Uh, th- this would be and, – and I feel like there's a, there's a, an answer to health care and there's an answer to a lot of things that ail our country right now by providing people a little bit of a tax break to put their money to good use in ways like this. Um I don't like nudging people and I don't like pushing people, but if I can if I can put money tax free into my 401k, which encourages me to save so that I'm not dependent on the government when I'm elderly, if I can put money into something which encourages me to save for my children for their college so that they're not saddled with debt for years, what if I could choose to make that same type of savings for that child when they get to a certain point, I put them in a private school that will more cater to what has become their gifts in life. What is wrong with that? That makes all the sense yeah. in the world to me. I, it does make all the sense, uh, all the sense in the world. And if you think about it, public schools have been around about 150 years, and there are some terrific public schools out there. I went to Columbine High School. I'm not going to say how long ago I went, but I, I went there a long time ago. There are a lot of great public schools, but you know what? They don't meet any. Uh, they're 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 not going to meet every student's needs, and. And that's true for any institution. I mean, does one institution meet everybody's needs? No. Kids have different needs. And over the last 30 years or so, we have seen state after state after state moving towards school choice, both in terms of charter schools and in terms of of vouchers or something similar to vouchers, where parents have an ability to use their own money more effectively or the state comes alongside of those parents and helps them with a voucher or tax credit or scholarship from another organization. And we already have the setup here in Colorado. We just need to change a little bit, a word or two, to allow parents to save in a, in a more effective way in these accounts, not just for higher ed, but also for K-12 education. And right now with these 529 accounts, the, the state, for, for those who are middle-income and low-income uh, families, the state also kicks in some cash. So why not allow parents to be able to use those accounts, not just to send their kid to a public or private school here in the state for college, but let them, let them choose an elementary school or junior high or high school that best meets their children's needs. Yeah, and I don't even mind the state kicking in a little bit on that um, because that's tax money that I've paid into the system. If I've got a kid, I, don't, I, I want to be able to move that tax money around, and I want to be able to reward the schools that are doing the best job for my child. I mean, that that's the thing that always rocks my mind is when you get into these conversations with people, there, there's no argument that I've ever heard a public administrator make that 
settles my mind that it's better for me not to have the choice where my kid would go to school. There's, I've never heard a compelling argument for the other side. It always comes back from their point of view to the funding that they need. And I'm like, well, if you, if you, because I'll, I'll say this and you can tell me if you disagree, but I'm in the camp that if you have a good teacher, it, not, not much else matters because a good teacher can pull the right lessons out of just about anything. We can talk about nice, big, beautiful, artsy buildings, and we can talk about modern, you know, flashy stuff, and all that's great. But none of that's going to help a kid if the teacher isn't doing a good job with the resources that they have. But on the other hand, you can have a teacher who has very few resources. And I actually speak from experience because my parents founded a school, and I watched my mom do this with this school. And almost no resources and literally outpaced the local public school like crazy in the ability of those kids to learn who to the point that that public school even brought their kids that were challenged in certain areas to my my parents so that they could work with them and they would get them back on par. It's about the teacher and that's why I praise teachers, but I want to reward those teachers that are doing those things for kids and give parents that choice. Well, and I, being on the air now, I was just in the classroom. I am a teacher. I right now I teach college. I've also taught in K twelve schools, and and teachers matter, and teaching matters, and and the and the kind of school matters. So why not let parents pick those schools that best meet their kids' needs? And one of the things I also explored in that particular Denver Post piece that I wrote is that if more people can choose schools, I think it actually takes away some of the drama. In that if you pick a school that I don't like, who cares? If you pick a school that teaches critical race theory and that's what that works for you and your kids, hey, that's your choice. Those are your kids. Give me the ability to choose a school that teaches something different. We have very different ideas in this day and age of what constitutes quality education. I think at one level we're all in agreement, math, reading, and writing. But beyond that, people have some very strong passions. And as long as we're all kind of stuck in the same room uh there's going to be conflict i'd say hey you know what you pick for you i'll pick for me let's set up some mechanisms like these 529 accounts so that parents have a broader range of choices and then let a a thousand flowers bloom right i totally agree by the way i think we're all pretty close to the same page unless you're in oregon and you don't have any more standards for math and reading (laughs) because your governor signed that (laughs) in the rule um but before i let you go i only have a couple minutes here but um what has to happen to make this happen? You mentioned a couple of words. Does this have to go through the legislature, or is there a bureaucrat that can make that change? Oh, I wish there was a bureaucrat that could make that change. No, we actually need enabling legislation, and that's a little tough right now because anti-school choice Democrats hold both houses. But the fact that the leg- legislation has been introduced is important. I think it's, it's good news because it, it gives us something to look at. And I, I talked about these other states that have enacted voucher programs, education savings accounts tax credits for education it all starts with legislation it all starts with conversation it starts about with with parents sharing with other parents hey this legislation's out there and we get that conversation moving eventually we end up with a legislative uh, climate which could be as, as soon as november where something like this could pass Awesome. Well, let's have you on and talk about it again, because I think there's more we need to discuss on this and uh, we need to get make sure parents know that it's out there, who to call and all that. Krista, it's always good talking to you. Thanks so much. And uh, we'll talk soon. Yeah, you bet. I'd love to come back on. Thanks. All right. Uh, Krista Kafer, she is with the Independence Institute, also a columnist for the Denver Post. uh, And she wrote that terrific column. I think we need to make this happen. We'll continue. 630 KHOW, Denver's talk station. 
All right, 630K House, Denver's talk station. I am Leland Conway. The CDC made a huge admission about the rushed vaccine timeline and heart inflammation today. Town Hall reported on the CDC report. The Centers for Disease Control is considering changing the timeline for the administration of the second Moderna and Pfizer uh, coronavirus vaccine dose. Consideration comes after a rush timeline caused heart inflammation in a number of patients. Quote, Dr. Sarah Oliver, an official at the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, said the agency was considering making the recommendation for Moderna, Pfizer, BioNTech shots during a meeting at the Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices. Currently, the CDC recommends individuals receive their second dose within three or four weeks of the initial dose. They're now going to recommend the second dose comes eight weeks after the first. Apparently, in October, a number of European countries limited Moderna's use due to an alarming number of myocarditis cases. The Swedish health agency said on October 6th that it would pause using the shot for people born in 1991 and later as data pointed to an increase of myocarditis and pericarditis among youths and young adults. When they looked at the, uh, I looked at the charts, and what it, it basically laid out was that uh, if you were under the age of 40, you had a higher chance of getting myocarditis from the vaccine than you did from the virus. That tells you that the vaccine does some of the same things in your body that the virus does. doesn't mean that the vaccine is not safe. Not at all. And I am an, not anti-vaccine. What I am going to say is if this information that the CDC is putting out is real and true, and I have every reason to believe that it is, there is absolutely no justification whatsoever for a mandate from either the government or your employer. None whatsoever. This is a choice you should be able to make. It's clear that it affects different people in different ways. On balance, it is mostly safe for most people. It is safe and effective for most people. That is the truth. It is safe and effective for most people. But that is for most people. The fact that it is for most people and not all people allows for there to be room for you to make a personal choice. 100% this is why I'm against mandates. Not against the vaccine. I'm against the mandates. All right. Last thing, story broke out today. Hate this, my hometown. They have a warning out, animal care and control warning about buzzards falling out of trees. See, apparently it's been so cold in Kentucky lately that the buzzards are freezing from the ice storms, and they're just dropping out of the trees. So a buzzard warning. There's actually a town in Kentucky called Buzzards Roost. Now we'll have one called Buzzards Fall. Something like that, I guess. Dan Kaplis is next. I am Leland Conway, 630 KHOW, Denver's talk station. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.